We're packing up, getting ready. All right? You packing up? You get, you ready to go? Me? It's time to go. Yeah, you got to get down here soon. My bag's always packed. You know that. <laughs> we got Brent projects. Like that's the mode my brain's in. It's like, oh yeah, we should work on that when Brent gets here. <laughs> just, you know, we'll have a nice long list by the time you show. I up. think we've learned from previous trips that uh, I should show up earlier than we think because we always get into some kind of trouble. <laughs> it's office hours with me, Chris. The bitches, Brent. They're in there right now in the chat room as we're doing a live show, and I'm coming after them. No spam in our chat room. This is office hours. How dare you do it during the live stream? This is my house. Hello, Brent. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? You like that band hammer? Yeah, I wasn't expecting it, so it got me. Got me real good. Boom. Right there during the show, the guy comes in trying to sell his bogus PC repair service. I mean, some of us might need that. That's not That's not going to last. That's just not going to happen. Because you know what? We're lit again. We're doing the live thing once again in Podverse. This time we're testing out a video stream on the Jupiter Signal test RSS feed. And so far it's working. You're wild. From our PeerTube instance into the mobile apps of the Podverse users. Feels like some sort of crazy future, Brent. It's pretty awesome. I think I lost a bet, actually. I thought this wasn't going to work at all. And here you are, like, pushing the envelope again this week. So I, I, I need to scrape my money back somehow. It's nice to see. It is nice to see all of this stuff work. You know, ultimately, it just makes a really great experience for the listener. you just right there in your podcast app. And that's just so dang cool. And, there, and I've always loved doing the live stream. But it's always, it's always required standing up its own separate website or using some service like YouTube or Twitch. And it's essentially meant sending the listener away from the app, away from your feed. It's always felt wrong to me, but it was the only way to accomplish the job. But this podcasting 2.0 stuff is so freaking great. It really, it's the most excited I've been about podcasting in a decade. It's really great to see it. And it couldn't be coming at a better time, my friend. Could not be coming at a better time. We have a little bit of drama in our own little local Linux circles. No. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think I want to talk about it. Feels like... Something that we shouldn't mention, but I'll tell you. Looking back, I think I've learned a lesson, and I think I'll talk you. I'll, I'll share the lesson that I've learned, and we'll skip some of the goss. And the lesson is, we work too damn hard. You know, that's what I've taken away from from uh, what's going on recently. Let me set the let me set the background for you. So, our old buddy Cranky Bear out there, Mister SJVN, who uh, writes many different outlets from ZDNet to others. Uh, he's he's really. He's been ahead of me for many years. Uh, I remember years ago, I mean, years ago, I was at OSCON. And old SJVN, he's in the press room and he'd figured it out. I, like an idiot, was out there doing interviews, hustling, carrying around recording equipment, talking to the different projects, getting rejected and sometimes really grinding it out. And uh, SJVN, old Cranky Bear, decided I could just hang out in the press room. They'd send me emails. I'll then make a blog post about it and I can crank out five, 10 blog posts while I'm here and I never have to leave my seat. And I, at the time I thought, Oh God, he's so lazy. Right. But no, he had figured out how to scale at a good price. Yeah. Work smart, not hard. Yeah. I thought to myself, geez, it doesn't seem like the quality of coverage would be very good, but I realized that wasn't the goal. You see quantity, he knew this quantity was really what you needed in the age of the internet. It was, he's ahead of me again. Silly me thinking about quality. And now, see, he's modernized it once again, and uh, now he's started a Substack where he just takes payments directly from the people he's writing about to write 
about whatever they want him to write about. <laughs> and uh, if you go look on Linux, our Linux, or if you go look on uh, Hacker News, go look at Cranky Bear. And you can see it's just old SJVN posting his own stories to his own Substack that he got paid for to write about to talk about Rocky Linux or something like that. In fact, if you go look at all the positive Rocky Linux coverage, it's all him on his private Substack where he gets paid to write about it. And you say, Chris, how do you know he gets paid to write about it? Because the company that pays him, that hired him to do written PR, we have listeners there. And they've told me uh-huh. that they pay him to write about their company. <laughs> and this is going on at all levels of the tech industry. And what old SJVN is doing is he's once again, he's ahead of me. You see, he figured out he could start a Substack and he could get paid to write about that, sub, about that subject from the people directly. He cut out all the middleman. He doesn't need booths. He doesn't need sponsors. He gets paid by the people he's reporting about directly. It's nice and tidy. So nice. And, you know, he can just sit there and crank them out, too, because they've always got great things they want to say about themselves. Yeah, they write the content for you. And this happens everywhere. And this is what the lesson I've learned, is that the whole thing is rotten. The whole thing and the incentives within the system are rotten. And inevitably, in order to survive, it draws people into what I would think would questionably be moral, but you just have to survive. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he's like, well, I would never have that problem. I would never do that. I would never do that. I, 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 would, I, would, I would end the relationship before I ever let that happen. Mm. You know, but you, it's an easy thing to say. Until that's how you're paying, you know, for the mortgage or something like that. Uh, your kid's food, whatever like that. And, you know, for old SJVN, it just makes more sense to just work directly with the people you're writing about. And who cares, right? It's just enterprise Linux distro stuff. Nobody's getting shot over it. It's just enterprise distro stuff. <laughs> and it feels like the only way you're ever going to fix any of that is when the only way you can succeed is by producing strong signal that the audience rewards. Because the one thing that's consistent with all of the SJVN stuff that he's been posting now, is if you go look at old Cranky Bear on Hacker News or Cranky Bear on our Linux, you'll see a real common comment in the response to his post, to his Substack, And that is, this, gosh, this really just kind of reads like a paid post. Is, is this a commercial? Everybody's like, what's going on here? This just reads like a paid post. That's because it is. That's because it is. And it, it's like if the audience, if his, if his revenue came from the audience, he wouldn't be able to do this. But his revenue comes from CIQ or whatever the company is that's actually behind Rocky Linux. I forget their horrible name because it's a bad name, in my opinion. They're the ones paying SJVN. So they're the, they're the customer, right? They're the customer, not the people reading the stuff. And this is in all forms of tech news and media and in just media in general. It's the incentive structure. And ultimately, when the companies are the gateways to information, and now they're also paying the writer, it's complete capture. It's completely gone. That source of information is completely compromised now. And it's at all, all levels, everywhere, from simple little YouTubers to bloggers who have been writing about Linux for 25 years. It is gross. And I feel like the podcasting 2.0 stuff could not be coming at a better time. Because the incentives are laying in thick with the podcast industry, too. And it's not going to be pretty. Especially when you look at Spotify, who just announced they're, they're doing more layoffs. They're having revenue issues because of their investment in podcasting. It's just not going to lead to good things. And so when we're sitting here, we're trying out this stuff. We're, 
we're not only making our podcast have more competitive features like transcripts and boosts and lit support, but it's also about the decentralization for the entire industry, right? It's about the decentralization that could potentially, as the, uh, as the author of the podcasting 2.0 talk at Fostem said, could save the web one day. And I think it could also save free software one day. It's that powerful. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see if it gets there. We'll see if we make it that far. Yeah, I think part of the question is, well, how long is it going to take to get to something like that? Because I know a lot of us, you know, um, have some strong ideals and we hope that it gets there sooner than later. But there's some strong forces pushing against it. And uh, we've, we've, you know, we've seen a ton of feedback just pushing against the idea from folks that we thought would otherwise support this kind of thing. So it's a funny thing. A little divisive, too. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the era we live in. You know, we joke on the show often that when people are listening to podcasts, they're doing chores. But it turns out a lot of people are doing chores while listening to podcasts. I don't know who YouGov Media Outlook is, but they've done a report that indicates that podcast listening has continued to grow with 14% of Americans saying they listen to more podcasts in the next year. 27% of those are aged 18 to 34 and listen at least once a day with another 26% listening once or several times a week. That group is followed by the 35 to 49, 45% of whom listen to podcasts once a week or more. Listenership drops off among older age groups with 50%, 50 to 64-year-olds, and 62% of those older than 65 saying they do not listen to podcasts at all. But the majority of respondents said that uh, while doing household chores, like cleaning or tidying or doing the dishes, is while they listen, then followed by commuters now. It used to be commute, commuters were pretty far up the list, but now, according to this study, commuters are second on the list. Then outdoor sports is third, cooking fourth, out for a walk fifth, huh. while eating 14%. <laughs> while eating, that sounds like you. That's, what, that's you. Oh. you they, they must have surveyed you, because you're always eating. You, well, I was going to say, you, you get an easy win there just because I'm always eating. I think the only way I get any chores done is because I have podcasts. You know, if, it was, if I didn't have podcasts, why would you bother? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I got I got pretty caught up on my podcast when I was sick. I was just a lot of laying around, not doing much, not feeling well. So that was kind of nice to get caught up. Did uh, did anything really jump out at you as like uh, something that was memorable in that time? Like a specific episode or maybe a podcast that you loved getting reconnected with? You mentioned New Pipe earlier. I used a little more New Pipe to catch up on a few things. So I watched their video versions while I was around the house. And the, using New Pipe for that kind of stood out to me as kind of a win. I, 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 I'm like keeping two separate types of content in the YouTube app versus the new pipe app. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I know when you jumped on giraffing, you were not too sure about new pipe and you had some hesitation around using it uh, as an everyday, but it sounds like maybe you've gotten there for a specific purpose. Yeah. Putting certain things in there, you know, I, I like the app. I just did not want to go through the whole takeout process to move my subscriptions over. It's like, Whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. I was like, that's no good. It's no good. So I just had to kind of slowly add things to it. Now I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a good little solid app, and it's a nice way to catch up on the podcast that I guess are podcasts on YouTube. Yeah, it's awkward what we've done there is mixed various platforms, and now it's not very cohesive, is it? It's sort of. Ah, and now we're doing it with the lit stuff being oh, video. Oh, look at us. Jeez. Maybe we should walk it back. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, maybe we should, we should consider it because 
my God, is there a freaking simplicity and elegancy to audio, you know? And uh, a guy can, you know, not have to worry about a lot of this technical stuff if he's just doing audio. Mm-hmm. Don't have to worry about a camera in your face. Combing your hair. Don't have to worry about the fact that Sovereign Feeds doesn't support video and that you have to manually edit the XML file and change the type and put the URL in there. You don't got to worry about that kind of stuff. You know, when you're doing video, you do. Is that a glimpse of what you learned between last week's test and this week's test? Ah, yeah. Thank you for asking. We should talk about that. So what did I learn? (sighs) I learned that there are specific requirements on how we produce a transcript for podcasting 2.0. I thought I could just give it a standard SRT file and call it good. That is wrong. So if you were trying the test feed for last week's episode, you may have noticed sometimes you have chapters, sometimes you had transcripts, but you often didn't have both. And I found that to be kind of frustrating that we were getting sort of mixed results across Fountain and Podverse and Podcast Addict and all the other apps. Like it just wasn't a consistent experience. And I think it would have been maybe if I had tweaked the SRT file output more on that in a bit, but the whole workflow is fascinating to just to go through the whole process to publish it, you know, you need a HTTP endpoint for a lot more stuff than we do currently because Fireside sort of just takes care of all that. But I need a place to throw the XML file for the RSS feed. I need a place to throw the MP3s. I need a place to throw the album artwork. I need a place to throw the SRT transcript file. Um, I need a place to throw the chapters file. All of these are HTTP endpoints that I have on object storage that I'm now manually taking care of Instead of just going over to Fireside and being like, filling out form, upload image, done. It really is a lot more manual at the same time. God dang it, if it isn't true, every time I use a GUI to try to accomplish what is just simple, the GUI inevitably gets in the way. Like Sovereign Feeds is a class act, but like I said, it doesn't support a video live item. It only will create your RSS feed with an audio file type. Then you have to go manually edit that file. And that's always how it goes. In my opinion, whenever something's moving real fast, that's changing every couple of weeks, the nice, the nice thing about Sovereign Feeds at the same time is it gives me a way to visualize everything, and it has been very useful in learning, but I can already feel like maybe if we really want to move quick, it could be limiting, because I'm already manually now editing the XML for what it produces, and it took a solid two weeks before that happened. <laughs> it took two episodes <laughs> before I'm manually editing the output. Well, it sounds like this, this is ripe for innovation and automation around this kind of stuff. Like it, it, it sounds like you, yeah. even you can easily say, well, all you got to do is put all these little pieces together and all of a sudden you've got a really elegant solution. And I think we, we've seen that with, you know, the lightning feeds in general, just the accelerated pace. And then all of a sudden there's all these tools that just accomplish all that stuff you were doing manually. Like when we set up that node a year ago, Tons of it was manual. And now all of a sudden, like, it's way, way simpler because there's it's quick innovation. So I feel like maybe, I don't know, give it another two weeks. Maybe someone will solve your issue. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, you know, I think if you're inevitably going to be publishing using something like the Blueberry tools or some of the podcasting 2.0 focused podcasting platforms, some of this is already going to be solved for you or is getting solved right now. So we ultimately will be trying this stuff and then and then like you said there'll be somebody that comes along and productizes it and is already they're already in the process of doing that and it's that's great you know that's i don't know if that's the solution for us i think we're kind of done 
using other people's solutions and just ready to build our own solutions. But we don't want to invent all this stuff. We want to use the primitives that are out there. We want to use the existing standards that are out there. And then we just create our own XML file generator that just kicks out the file. So when I go live on PeerTube, it fires up the API. The a- something else gets pinged. It generates the XML file for me automatically with all the information in there. And I don't do anything. And it's totally doable. It's just you got to string it all together. So, um, and then we have to have some stuff at the end of the production process to kick off the transcripts and generate those. But uh, we did really seem to get that dialed in. Props to Wes. He uh, he went back and did a little optimization on our Whisper setup. And now we're cranking through over an hour's worth of content in 15 minutes, less than 15 minutes we can try. That's a bit better than overnight and then not working at all. <laughs> yeah, huge difference. So that's a lot better already. So we've been able to continue to test the transcript stuff, which is good because I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do. It's going to make the shows way more searchable. I already like transcripts more than chapters. Whoa. In the shows that have them. Because you really like chapters. I do. I do. But there's like, you know, every now and then there's like, you don't necessarily want to skip the entire segment, but maybe you want to skip 30 seconds of the conversation and get to the piece or whatever. It's beautiful for that because you can just, especially in Podverse, you can have it auto sync the transcript to the position of the audio. And so it'll just, it'll scroll the transcript as the audio plays and you can just scroll ahead a little bit tap the sentence you want and the player goes right to that moment in the podcast and starts playing it it's like screw chapters this is even this is one <laughs> level deeper now <laughs> it's getting me reflecting on uh my habits using you know we often talk about youtube content versus podcasting because i feel like they're quite different uh and it's weird to see the mix but i you know, exactly what you're talking about, I do constantly and without even thinking about it when I'm watching YouTube videos, because it's just like, oh, this 30 seconds, I know they're going to talk about nothing. And I just want to get to the content. But I do feel like I do that a lot less when I'm listening to podcasts. And maybe it's just because of the ones I've chosen, but there's something there as well. Like I, the function you're talking about sounds super hel- helpful, but um, actually in a way, I feel like I treat podcasts more as experiences and YouTube. I'm just like browsing through it, trying to get the, all the information that I want to, because I just want to get the technical bits or whatever. It's, it's fascinating. So, huh. There's like two modes of podcast listening that I have. I have what you just described. And then I have, I'm trying to get a quote for Lan, or I'm trying to like look something up. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a very different use case for sure. And it's so useful for that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm, it's great. Uh, True Grits is listening right now doing chores, he says, in the chat room. So there you go. That's pretty funny. That's pretty good. And Legit Salvage says, I'm a commuter listener until work from home. Now I cheat and listen while I work. I'm not sad about that. I love that username. Legit Salvage is his choice. I think there's also an argument for, like, uh, it's educational content that's work-related, you know? So why shouldn't you get paid to listen? Yeah. Hmm. Just putting it out there. I mean, you want you want to do the pain? Oh, you can't. You can't afford to pay people to listen. You're buying new hardware. You got. <laughs> you went on a shopping spree, which you don't do very often. No, that is true. And I think, I think you might know this about me, but you may not. Um, I don't often buy things, so I when I do, I'm so intentional about it. Yeah. Uh, some people might argue too much, but for me, it's really important to do a bunch of research and try to get the right thing that's going to work for me for the longest time possible. So 
the main thing that I wanted to solve with this new beautiful Dev One that you and Wes so kindly brought into my life was um, adding a hub to it just to get a few other functions like an extra monitor and uh, Ethernet is a thing that I was really missing on occasion. I was doing some network troubleshooting uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, I just had to pull out the old laptop because it had Ethernet on there and we were, we were doing a bunch of stuff and that was just the way to do it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. I got to solve this soon because I don't want to have to go back to that old X250, you know, every time I'm trying to solve something. So I took some of your advice because I kind of probed you and a few other members of the team for what to start looking for in USB-C hubs. And it is a vast, complex landscape out there. The suggestion you gave yeah. was really good. You gave me two suggestions, an anchor. I believe it's a seven in one that you have a little like USB-C hub, but I think you have a dock as well that you use, right? And I'm learning those are very different. Yeah. The dock will often deliver a lot more power, right? But the dock is also going to have its own power brick where uh, the anchor eight in one is powered off of the bus. And when you travel, having one less proprietary power brick is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's and it will still do pass power. It'll still do USB four, whatever they call it, PD delivery. And then, of course, I also which this just adds complexity, doesn't it? apply to what you're doing, but I also have a couple of Thunderbolt 4 docks, which look like USB-C docks, but are not USB-C, they're Thunderbolt. So it's... Do you have to pull out your label maker and uh, make sure you don't mix them up? I <laughs> <laughs> should. Now, you can tell the Thunderbolt docks because they have exceptionally short, very expensive cables, and that's uh... how you know. That's the Thunderbolt dock. But, you know, the, the device that I, uh, I found this Anchor USB-C hub to be the most valuable for was my... Uh, Steam Deck because the Steam Deck of course can you can use a full mouse and keyboard you can use Ethernet with it as long as you can do it all over USB C so that's and this is pretty portable it just plugs right into the bottom of the Steam Deck and it works great on Linux so it just you know fires right up and detects it natively nice I hadn't even thought of that but that makes so much sense I mean you're you're just really just adding extra ports. And that's in that case for something of small form factor, it makes a lot of sense. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I will say I'm slow to the game. Like uh, most of you have already solved this. But when I did research to try to like wrap my head around what I should get and what I should look out for, it's just a confusing landscape. There's like tons and tons of like cheap Chinese knockoff stuff and mm -hmm. vast vast chasms of like pricing difference you know if you want to get a a dell or a lenovo version of you know a hub or a dock it's like hundreds of dollars more than everything else and you're like well why some of it is just the same chips rebadged it's just crazy it's very crazy so i i will say i did like days and days of research and i ended up pretty much going with your suggestion. So kudos to you. <laughs> you did look at the Pinebook Pro USB-C dock, it looks like. I did. Um, I did because it was, you know, I, I think some of the Pine stuff is really fascinating. I know the, the Pine Soul, which is their soldering pencil, is really attractive to me and I've heard really good things about it. And I've never really owned a Pine thing. And I was like, huh, maybe this is a thing. And And, and they're thoughtful folks, right? And I looked into it and it seemed really interesting, had tons of ports and got good reviews um, in certain outlets, um, but there's some major drawbacks on it. So one of the ones that really 
confounded me was that the there's a USB-C data port, or I think there might be two of them, and but they're limited to USB 2 speeds. Oh. Which was like a real question mark for me. I was like, what, uh, what, <laughs> yeah. why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, it must be some hardware limitation of some sort, but it just, that was a bit of a, like a nick there. But then the other thing was that, well, this laptop, as you know, sometimes I'm doing things now because I can that take a lot of power. And even the brick that came with it can't supply quite enough power. And it turns out these hubs use power, of course, quite a bit of it. This one's only 60 watts. I need a lot of power. This one's only 60 watts pass through, which I think yeah. would be all right for certain devices. Sure. MacBook Airs. I don't think this Dev 1 that's going to do because, you know, uh, that's 60 watts going through, which is less than I'm currently using. And uh, so I decided also to start looking at some power sources. Also, your suggestion. Thank you, sir. So I think I got to look into a hundred watt power supplies and that was a new area for me too. You know, I'm late to the game there by several years, but it's, it was the exact same thing in this area. It was so frustrating. There's this like massive gap of quality and like, it seems that there are no standards, like some ports will give you the power that it says on, on the box. And, but if you plug something else in, everything changes all of a sudden. Right. And it's just like super frustrating, but I did find some like strangely well-priced things, especially in Canada. Okay. So I linked to a Best Buy item that's in Canada only. Yes, we have Best Buy here. It's not quite as good, but it's not bad. It's okay. Bye. It's okay. Bye. And so I, I just happened across this Insignia charger that gets pretty good reviews, but the US version of it, which I was going to ship to the studio because, you know, going to be there soon and there's a lot of great deals. So on the US site, it's currently like 50% off. So it's like 45 US dollars, regular, like 90 some US dollars. And I was like, oh, that's a great deal. I'm definitely going to get that one. Go to the Canadian site. The normal price on the exact same thing, but in black is, is like the, the sale price but in Canadian dollars. So <laughs> none of it makes sense to me. But anyways, I did settle on a 100-watt USB-C power supply that will power this hub and give me a little bit more juice on my laptop. And I think I'll be a happier Brent after all of this. Hey, that's great. That's going to be quite the nice little office work. Or, or I guess it's going to be quite the nice little office upgrade, Is you know, like the workspace upgrade. Yeah, that's my hope. I did get given a monitor as well. Oh, good. Uh, so that'll mean I'll have two monitors. So I'm slowly. Wow. Yeah. You're going to be like, you're going to have USB-C devices. You're going to have a hub. You're going to have hundred Watts of power, multiple monitors. Look at me, Mr. Modern. Not going to know what to do with myself. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with you really. Well, I hear you though on the, like how bad the quality is on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's tricky when you have multiple devices that you want to charge and you've got limited outlets. So picture um, the kids are over, right? And Oh, of course. <laughs> they've got phones. They've got tablets. They've got watches. They've got everything. They've got Thunderbolt. They got switches. Or no, I'm sorry, Lightning. They've got, yeah, USB-C because it's just plus my devices. There's really nothing that does. And so there's some micro in there for some reason. I couldn't even t just random, like, you know, flashlights, whatever, tiny little play drones, whatever. Just, you know, we're a gadget family, lots of little gadgets. So 
I try to get like those anchors that have like six or seven mm. USB ports, but they don't deliver enough power and only a couple of them are ever USB-C. It's a full on first world problem, no doubt about it, but it's an annoying one. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. I did look at um, a lot of anchor stuff. It gets great reviews and they've, they're pushing some of the technology there, it seems. I found this amazing source of really deep technical reviews of power adapters. I'm talking like oscilloscope kind of stuff. And if you're into that kind of stuff, um, all things one place on YouTube just kind of dives into power adapters from the tiny little five watt ones all the way to like, I don't know, 100 plus. And I love that kind of stuff. Fascinating. Super fascinating because some of them are like, oh, yeah, it's really great. And this has a, you know, this brand has a great reputation like Anchor. And you plug one device in and it works beautifully. You plug two in, everything falls apart. And uh, there's just no consistency. And it's super, super interesting to look at if you're at all interested in electronics and power adapters. We'll put some links in the notes. I'll also toss a link in there for a USB-C and a 65-watt desk charger. So it's it's just a little a little brick, a little tiny brick, smaller than like a laptop power supply. And it's got two USB-A and two USB-C. And then it has just a regular AC wall plug on the other end. And you could use it to charge a laptop because it can deliver 65 watts. But I have one of these on my desk. And it just delivers the, the maximum possible USB charging for every device I plug into it. So if I plug a phone in or a tablet or whatever it is, and it for a small little setup, if you're not trying to charge it, if you just need couple USB-A and a couple USB-C and you want something that works on your desk and has a doesn't have a brick on the other end of it I love this thing and I'll, it's 40 bucks I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can try it out it doesn't have like an official name but I love it well since you're sharing links I think maybe I'll share one more uh, this one's also from Pine64 and it got my sort of curiosity ears up it's called the Pine Power and it's a 120 watt like desk power supply like you're talking about but it has individual voltage and status displays for each port. Right. So it can tell you exactly, you know, how much it's being drawn and stuff like that. And for, I don't know, for us geeks, that just, just seems really, really fascinating. So I didn't buy it and I was tempted to, but I haven't. Um, but I think if you're curious about that kind of stuff, that might be a place to go. This is the type of stuff I love that they buy or that they make that I would love to buy from them more. I just don't think of pine when I think of this sort of stuff. But it, the great thing is what Brent's saying is it's got like a little OLED or whatever it is on the front. So you get to see the draw of each port, which that's just so cool. That's just so cool. I think for us tinkerers, that's just right up our alley. Speaking of tinkling, head on, head on over to linode.com slash Jupiter and take a look at, I'd say, the best place in the world to run your application. Anything you really want to run great on Linux, run over at Linode. And when you go to linode.com slash Jupiter, you get 100 bones to play around and really kick the tires. There is so much going on. I think Linode is it's going to grow and expand like crazy over the next year because they're, you know, they're fully joining forces with Akamai and you're going to have access to that um, to that huge pool of resources, hardware, performance. I think it's going to be a great year to be a Linode Akamai customer. And recently I was over there monkeying around and seeing what kind of new installation one clicks they've got. I always kind of like to just check in and see if there's anything new because it's a great way to just go try some of these free software projects that we talk about all the time in a nice, clean, fast deployment. And if you're watching the video in the Podverse app right now, you can see this is their marketplace right here. 
and I can just scroll around and right here at the top, I can see what the new apps that they have deployed. And down here you can see there's tons of popular ones that you could easily get up and going in just moments, minutes, like Nextcloud, WordPress, Minecraft, Java edition. Huh. Interesting. Kali Linux too. That's, that's something. Let's look at that. Let's do Kali Linux. So if I click on, you can click on, you can also get information. If you click the little, little I button, it'll slide over a whole bunch of information. But so you choose Kali Linux. And then when you scroll down, you just give it some of the information you want. Like, it's going to set up a VNC user for you. So you can just connect to the desktop directly and run a lot of the stuff desktop-based on Kali. So what user do you want? And what password do you want? And it'll, it'll set that in there right then and there. So that way, once it's done deploying, you just launch your VNC client, give it the address of your server, and you're up and going. And they've got 11 data centers for you to choose from, and they're adding a whole bunch more. But let's, let's choose Dallas in this case. We'll choose Dallas. And then you have lots of options for machines. See the pricing, super straightforward. And for like a Kali Linux box, 4 gig RAM, 8 gigs of storage, 4 terabytes of transfer, and a 40 gigabit connection. That'd be perfect. But you could also do like, say you wanted to try Whisper, you could do something like a GPU dedicated system, high memory system. There's different tiers depending on what you want, including systems that are just perfect for like a personal site or a status web page. You fill out the information you want. You can add your SSH keys right there. You can see Alex and I, myself, we can just click those and boom, now we can SSH right in. You can attach a VN, v, uh, VLAN, I'm sorry, and then configure backups and then create, you're done. Now you've got a Kali Linux box in the cloud. And when you go to linode.com slash Jupyter, you get a hundred bucks for 60 days. So you could just use that hundred bucks to play around with Kali Linux. Do a little test on your network and see how it goes. It's so straightforward. I could do it during an Android. It's that easy. So try it out yourself. You're going to love it. Get the 100 bucks. Go to linode.com slash Jupiter. Really, we have so many great boosts to get to this week. Mm, I like this part. Mere Mortals comes in with a big old satchel of sticks, I guess. <laughs> satchel? I think you that? just started a thing. Okay. Uh, they write, I joined Patreon to support the Andreas Antonopoulos show, and I'm going to have to just stop right away. They actually take away from consuming the content. It feels like I'm paying for a worse experience. Oh, no. Unfortunately, he has that paywall, but I just can't participate in that system. Nothing beats value for value and the functionality of the podcasting 2.0. Yeah, you really hope that Andreas, Andreas would uh, come up with a way to do a, a lightning-based payment system because Andreas is a... Uh, Long-time Bitcoiner. That, that whole CMS and front-end, back-end, it needs a lot of work still. It's an aged system, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I am curious about how you feel about these kind of paywall systems. I mean, many podcasters just sort of release tons of free stuff with like additional special features. Some of them just lock everything, everything behind a paywall. And uh, so how do you feel about either system? And um, are you... Are, are they missing out on some really good value from fans because they're behind this garden? Yeah, yeah, that's a hard question right now. I've been pondering it for months. <laughs> it feels like it's all transitionary. Like there's a, there is, I can see the model and I do, I do understand it, but I think it's, I think like with, with Coda Radio, for example, we'll do a membership version and you get, as a thank you, you get a member's feed that has no ads. And you get the Coderly Report, which is like a little extra show that Mike and I do once a quarter for our members. That feels like the right 
kind of exclusive cadence. Because I think if you go much more than, I think if you go with like weekly exclusive content, like an exclusive show, where maybe you only put out a clip and then the, the entire show is behind a paywall, that seems, that seems like you're going to stunt growth. It seems like you're really going to wreck people, you know, trying the show out. Like you're going to really limit a lot of interaction behind people only to only people that can afford to interact. Like it's, it's a complicated thing. And that's why I kind of feel like it is great to have a lot of different models because we do need to kind of see this get tested out. Even here, we're, we're kind of seeing what we can land on that works the best. Um, I think the issue with sites like Patreon is the platform always moves slower than the creator. And inevitably the platform gets between you and the audience. I mean, we inevitably had to give up on Patreon. They just weren't adding new features fast enough. The API doesn't do the things we need it to do. It really wants to own the entire experience. You know, if we did, if we used Patreon to deliver our content to our members, I would have to, and could only use their CMS and their system. Like the whole thing is, I just don't like any of that. It doesn't feel like ultimately a long-term solution. It feels like, Something out of the 90s. Yeah. Mirror Mortals continues with a row of ducks. I got to play around with a demo of a new podcasting 2.0 app that has a feature that simulates a membership style support model. I'll boost in about it when it gets officially released after podcast evolutions. Well, there you go. That'll be interesting to see where that goes. Okay. I'm curious about this, the, the choosing of the word simulate there. Simulate a membership style support model. Hmm. Curious where that goes. Marcel comes in with another row of sticks. It'd be cool to have member feeds as part of the podcasting 2.0 spec. Maybe the app could charge your wallet monthly to enable that feed. Maybe the value tag could somehow be linked to the main show, so boost to the member feed contribute to the main show and the leaderboards. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Marcel. You would like all of the all of the boosts to go to the same spot, and you'd want it to count like in the fountain charts. I like this. These are good. See, these are really good ideas. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think technically, like because that would require basically the client doing a lot of the work. Well, the client app would have to do a lot of the accounting and the work there to get you access to that feed. It's like a scheduler for yeah, but yeah, so yeah, that how would you kind of authenticate the fact that they, you know, boosted enough to be a member? Or you've something that like unlocks a URL. So when when you oh. like say you boost two thousand sats or five thousand sats to this address, then it generates a URL and the download proceeds or something. That's cool. I wonder. Right, something's there because I'm trying to think. Whatever we come up with, it would be really, really great if that model somehow or directly even could be applied to software like app stores, like Flathub or something like that, where you could integrate lightning payments. And so it brings up Albi and I send 10,000 sats to the developer and it unlocks the download URL or I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't want it locking URLs. But that kind of functionality feels like it'd be powerful. I think you're onto something here. Anand comes in with 10,000 sats testing. Just my first boost. Well, thank you for making your first boost 10,000 sets. Todd from Northern Virginia boosts in with 33,333 sets. Leo Laporte ranted recently on a pod about podcasting 2.0 in a recent interview. His stance seemed anti-listener and not competitive. Thoughts? Yeah, so Leo Laporte from twit.tv was interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and they asked him about podcasting 2.0, and he um, he said that he felt like podcasting 2.0 was Adam Curry's attempt to uh, take over podcasting um, and that, uh, you know, he didn't think it was worth his time or something to that effect. 
which I found to be kind of funny because Leo's the guy that tried to t- change the name to podcast to netcast. Mm. You know, like Leo's. So like, and, and what what is his what is his alternatives? Apple and Spotify. Like, have fun having your entire business run and managed by Spotify and Apple, Leo. Like, where do you think this is going, big guy? I was a little disappointed, but I also, I know Leo, and I know Adam, and I know that politics has gotten in the way of how Leo views the world, and it has sort of infected a lot of his shows, and it's affected a lot of his thoughts, and it affects the way he thinks and talks about people. And I think he was quick to dismiss it because the existing system has served him exceedingly well. Uh, Leo has the advantage of coming from a television and radio background. So that opened up conversations with very, very, very large, lucrative sponsors at the very beginning of his podcast endeavors. So Leo's been dealing with extremely high CPMs and very high revenue beyond what most podcasters could ever dream of since the beginning. The man has like four or five ads that are like two, three minutes long per episode. And, uh, of course, then has in the more recent years scrambled to implement memberships and do things like that as he's seen the direction that the market has gone. But it's still a system that has served him well, and I would expect that he would rather retire before he learned how to do anything differently in that regard. And for Twit, it's not like Leo can just put an, put an evening of work in and all of a sudden have a test signal feed, and then he can go manually create that XML file and upload it to the object storage and go lit and try it out for the day. Like that's not how twit works, right? It's a staff of 20 to 30 people. There's editors, there's people responsible for the publishing. There's a pipeline, that kind of quick innovation, quick experimentation that's been gone since before he left the cottage. And that's not a disparaging remark. That's just how medium to the big businesses work. It's just the nature of the beast. When you start having multiple people at different layers of the business responsible for different aspects of it, And his job is not really to understand how the RSS feed works or how his website works anymore. And so he's not really looking at this stuff to begin with. So I don't I don't really expect much more from him on it. I'm not speaking about it in a bad way. I mean, it's just the reality of it. I I would love to see him be a champion of it. But, you know, as long as he and Adam have bad blood, it's likely just going to be a thing because they both are very big personalities, in particular. Mm. Leo. So <laughs> I love them both, but it is what it is, Todd, I think. I'd be curious to know what you think. Alex Gates, the podcasting 2.0 consultant, comes in with a thousand sats. The Lightning PeerTube extension can do boosting and value-for-value value streaming from the web browser with Albi. <laughs> Got to check that out. We've been having some PeerTube issues, so we haven't been doing plugins recently unrelated to this stuff. But it's something we definitely have to check out. Alex continues another thousand sats. I'm already thinking about ways to do live closed captions. They will be separate from transcripts. Interesting. And another thousand sats to say, Vosk, V-O-S-K, is another proven option with a rich open source community and a server protocol and WebSocket. You can bring your own models too. All right, so if looking for, that could be, one thing about being able to bring our own models to a transcript transcription service, I don't know if it's something we'd do immediately, but it sure seems like it could be useful when you think of all the weird, crazy open source project names and stuff that we say on these shows. Oh, yeah. Um, and then two more rounds from uh, Alex. One more. He says, uh, nice to hear that all the work I put into Podping is still being appreciated. Boy, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's so neat. Uh, and then the last boost from Alex, 1,000 sets. Meanwhile, Monero is private and also more scalable with adaptive block sizes. It's what Satoshi actually envisioned in his white paper. So 
Monero. You know, Monero is a great example of how those of us in the technical community can sometimes not see the forest between the trees. And we will advocate for something that is perhaps technically superior in some ways. And we'll kind of lose sight of the dynamics that drive the entire market. And we'll sit here advocating for our better designed or better thought through or more secure thing while the rest of the market just goes about their day and buys their iPhones or whatever. And I thought, why, why is this Bitcoin's moment to shine, not Monero's moment to shine? Because Monero includes privacy by default. Like there's processes you can do in Bitcoin to try to anonymize your transactions or at least obscure your UTXOs, where they've been and where they're going. And Monero does a lot of this by default. So why not Monero? It seems to be um, ethically mined. We seem to have avoided, for the most case, the pre-mine situation. Has a pretty good leadership team, although they're constantly changing things, but they're there. And they don't seem to be too particularly influenced in one direction or the other. So why Satoshis over XMRs, or whatever they're called, Zamars? And it, it really comes down to the moment in time we are living in and what the market needs. We exist in a period of time when trust is bankrupt for every institution you can think of. Medical institutions, government institutions, military institutions, the church, businesses. Everything I just listed has historically low trust by consumers. And then there's the media, which is even worse. We live in an era where no one knows what's right or wrong. We don't know if there's balloons or UFOs over us right now. During the middle of a pandemic, we didn't know if ivermectin would kill you or save you. We just can't figure anything out anymore. We can't trust anything. And then Bitcoin comes along. And you know where every single Satoshi is. You know the exact state of the entire Bitcoin network at any moment. Every Bitcoin is audible and accountable. You can't say that for Monero. How many Monero are in circulation right now? Which wallets have the most Monero? Where are all the XMRs? We don't know. That's fine. But perhaps it isn't what the world needs as badly right now. And one does not preclude the other. So when you need something that can be a trust, trustable piece of property that is provable, audible, verifiable by math, and mined from energy, so it comes from real-world constraints, and it's provable by anybody at any point in time with a block explorer. That's probably what the world needs right now when we can't trust anything. In, in just this crazy-ass time where the world has been completely broken, and our money is completely, completely untrusted. It is, it's like, you look at, like, which pick, pick, you could pick our government institutions, you can pick the media, you can pick the financial system, it, like, everywhere. Consumers don't, there's bankrupt trust when measured. It's, it's, it's crazy. And then Bitcoin comes along, which is the only thing that anyone would trust because it's run by itself. It's completely decentralized. It uses math to prove its work. So you can do the math. You can just check the math. And the source code is completely open source and transparent. And any and all modifications have to be approved and accepted 
by tens of thousands of decentralized nodes and miners. So you can't have people come in and pervert it either. It's uncorruptible and it's provable by math at a time when everything is corrupted and we don't trust anything. And so while, yes, it is great to have an extremely private currency and I don't want it to go away and I think there's value there, it's not a great store of wealth or a replacement for anything else that we currently have. And it doesn't solve the fundamental issue that the market is looking for desperately for a solution for right now. And once people start to realize that solution is there, it's going to take off like wildfire. Because the fundamental thing is, is two people who don't trust each other need something they can trust in. When that innovation occurred, it was special. And I think it was perfectly purpose-built for right now. So I, while I think Monero is technically great, privacy by default is good. I like encryption. I, like, I don't like people knowing all of these things. I can easily see how there is a massive need for something else in the market right now that answers transparency and trust. And that's what the blockchain does, and that's what Bitcoin does. Sorry for the long answer. Gene Bean Boosin with A Row of Ducks. I'm only 17 minutes into the episode, so there may be bits I haven't heard yet, but I wanted to say I'm all in on using the RSS feed as a source of truth on my shows. I've already started building tooling for this and would love to collaborate with y'all since we're both using Hugo and working towards the same goal. Right on, Gene Bean. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 2,223 sets to say I'm curious how you're planning to get speakers separated within Whisper and how you're planning to get into the spec that is needed by Podcasting 2.0 where the SRT web VTT file is 32 characters per line and a max of two lines at a time. Well, that seems easy. That's just a little bit of massaging needed after the fact it's created. That's, I feel like Wes could do that in like 10 seconds at Python. But I think this is what bit us last week. I think this is why our transcripts didn't work in Podverse, perhaps, is I don't know if we did the 32 characters per line thing or the two lines at a time thing. I were debating if it's worth separating the speakers out and identifying them separately or if it's just more important to just have all the information in there. I'd like your thoughts on that too, everybody. I don't know what you think. Brent, were you picturing transcripts where we're each labeled or are you picturing just a transcript of the show? Well, it feels to me like as a consumer of the transcript, if you're just browsing it casually, it'd be super nice to have each speaker separated out. But in your use case, if you're just searching through it to find certain sections in the show, then that doesn't really matter to you. But I feel like it's a nice to have. So I'm going to say, I think we can publish without it um, and then get there in the short term. Mm. Mm, I think you're probably right. Uh, and then Gene Bean came in one last boost uh, with 2,224 sets. He's incrementing them because, you know, Expert. makes it easy for me. Yep. Now, Whisper does need GPU power, not CPU power. I don't think the Matrix rig is the right host if you're trying Whisper, which to that point, Elry comes in with, uh, or Elray. I always get it wrong because of my neighbor. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny to have the same name spelt the same way, but said two different ways. LRay741 comes in with a row of ducks. Uh, you'd probably have a better time using the GPU instead of the CPU core. Typically, those machine learning models are better tuned for the GPU, guys. He says, if I recall, Linode does offer GPU rigs. Yeah. Oh, boy. We played around with that when we were playing around with Stable Diffusion. Oh, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> you know, to West Payne's credit, that, that, that wily son of a bitch, he's got it working so damn good. I don't know if that thing's got a GPU in it or if it just, he scared the life into it, but I am damn happy 15 minutes for an hour long or so or more. I don't think I've thrown anything less than an hour at it. 
And it's been about 15 minutes. I mean, it takes us more than 15 minutes to even just wrap an episode up in terms of like the back end stuff. So that's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we inevitably pull this off because I don't think we want the transcripts to hold up publishing. So I think we'll publish and then shortly afterwards, the transcripts will go live. So we'll have to have like placeholder files that can be in the RSS feed that the podcast client can look at that then later will refresh, hopefully. And I think it's going to be different per podcast app because I think sometimes the apps refresh at a set time interval and sometimes the apps refresh on playback. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, well, it'll be an interesting to experiment with. Sam Squanch comes in with our last standard boost, 16,180 sats with no message. But then we got some test feed boost, Brent. Lovely. Are you ready for this? I am. This is exciting. It is. This is exciting. Let's do it again. Back home baller. Damn straight, y'all. Sir Lurkslots, our back home baller this week, he comes in first on the test feed with 13,370 sats, testing out the test feed, streaming and boosting along. I see transcripts, but no chapters. I'm using Podverse on Drafting OS. Yeah, okay. So you got the uh, transcript, huh? But not the chapters. Hmm. That's not the way I would have expected it. That's interesting. Lurkslot comes, comes in again. Like I said, he's our baller this week with 54,321 <laughs> sats. 54321. Albie's web plugin has a feature that lets you set an allowance per website. So I set a million sat limit for podcastindex.org, and I don't get bugged to approve every little split until I've spread out a million sats. Fire hose on. <laughs> Thank you. What an expert tip. Lurks a lot's our pro booster, right? I love that. That's a really good insight. Boy C79 2001 comes in with a row of ducks on the test feed. First time boosting. I'm listening. I've been listening, though, since Office Hours 1, and I've been listening to all the other JB shows as well. Here's some sats I've earned in the Fountain app to help you all and the JB crew continue making great podcasts. Thank you, sir. Mm, thank you. Also, thanks for leaving the Mumble Room and PureTube servers running. It's fun to listen and see the production happen live. Good luck on getting automated 2.0 podcast RSS feed working. Thank you, Boy C. Thank you. Yes. That's really the next thing that needs to happen. Now we just need to bring all of our pieces that we've created together and have stuff just like when we go live. What ultimately, ultimately my dream is I just sit down right here and I go live and everything else just happens. Wouldn't you love like a big red button that you just pound on and then everything just kind of whoosh? No, I, I don't even want a button. I just, I turn the stream on and it all starts happening. You know, because right, what happens right now is I start one stream to appear to. And then I run upstairs to my office. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And I go into Sovereign Feeds and I update everything and I set everything to live and then I download the XML file and I manually edit the XML file and I put the video thing in there and I put the right video type file in there. And oh then I goodness. upload that to object storage, bring down Gwake and set it to read write mode using the Linode command line tool. Then I go over to Podping or I'm sorry, I go back to Sovereign Feeds and tell it to update Podping. And then it goes and checks the object storage and tells all the podcast apps to update. And then I run back down here. And we start the show. Assuming everything else is working just fine. Right. Yes. Assuming there's nothing else that needs fixed. And so it'd be great to just kind of automate that. That'd be really great. Dark Matter PHP dev comes in with one, two, three, four sats. Here's some Ramon sats from the Jupiter test signal feed. Love that JB is leading the charge into the podcasting 2.0 feature. Keep up the awesome work. Well, thank you. Thanks, Dark Matter. Love that username. And then Mere Mortals comes in. Our, our, uh, like return boosters, like the third boost, Mere Mortals. If I, I'm going to say it one more time so people go listen to the podcast. The Mere Mortals podcast boosts in with another bag of sticks, boosting to go to Jupiter and beyond on the test feed. Pew, 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 pew. 
Thank you, everybody. Pew. pew, pew to you, too. Appreciate the boost. And uh, go give the Mirror Mortals podcast a listen. Look at that great support they've been giving us. They deserve you. You go check them out out there as well. Thank you, everybody, though, that boosted in either to the Jupiter test signal feed or the main regular old office hours feeds. Always appreciates it. It's the highlight of our show. We, this, this is the part of the show Brent and I look forward to the most. Mm-hmm. And these messages, some of these that came in this week, I've been thinking about them all week long. And I love that. You know, I love that because they're short when they come in on a dashboard, I get a chance to really kind of mull my answer around for a while. And uh, I don't know, it's just something I don't get to do with any of the other mediums. So it's in part because I have that dang helipad dashboard up all the time because Dave Jones made it so much fun. (laughs) You know, a little little bit of confetti every time a boost comes in. How can you not think it's a little dopamine hit hit along with it? Uh, I will say, too, that. This is really fun to do together. You know, I know it's like feed, what, week number two for this test feed. Mm. And it's mm-hmm. sometimes tricky for you. You know, you got to run up the stairs and make sure everything's working. But it's fun to get the like feedback almost instantly as well on how it's going for people and how it's appearing in various podcast apps. So just that connection to the listeners too is so fun for me. It's testing stuff out that. I've wanted for years, you know? So it's like, we're finally getting it. We're finally getting there. And it's amazing that it all works from the apps to pod ping to the peer tube stuff. The entire stack all the way is free software too. You know, how cool is that? Like there's, we didn't have to go out and buy like some commercial software package, like a thousand dollar piece of software or, you know, anything like that. We're just integrating it in with the infrastructure that we have and using open source tooling. It's amazing. If you'd like to send a boost into the show, you can grab a new podcast app and try out Podverse or Fountain or Castomatic or any of the others, newpodcastapps.com. Podverse is the one we're using for the testing. And then you can go search for the Jupiter test signal feed in there. You can also find it on the podcast index. In fact, you can boost from the podcastindex.org as well. You just got to grab Albi. That's the browser extension. You top it off. And then you find us over there on the podcast index and you boost right in. And then we'll read one of your messages right here on the show. Yeah, yeah, he's almost, he's almost slipping. slipping. It's time to wrap up when it starts slipping into Cowboy Chris, you know, when he's lurking. Brentley, uh, I don't know, maybe by the next episode, you might be in Stooch. Ooh, I think I will be. Maybe. Let me see a calendar. Yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm right there. That's going to be exciting. I think it's up. Are we going to actually do it in your office? I don't know about that. <laughs> I know, that's a bit of a push. I've always thought about actually doing it in the office, but then the audio quality is obviously better in the studio right downstairs Uh (laughs) so it's conceptually okay my office you know conceptually that's why we got to change the dang name we've just been too busy messing around with everything else to actually get to the name change stuff one thing at a time maybe at some point maybe what happens is we just switch over to the test feed maybe that's what happens it's like the the test feed takes over the show and then office hours goes away and all that's left is the test feed oh i thought that was the plan this whole time Stay tuned and find out, I suppose. Office hours is over for this week, though. Tell you what, we gotta get out of here. I gotta clean up, and I'm going home. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>